Hello, and welcome to Mission Daily. Today, Hillary is joined by Eugenio Pace, co-founder and CEO of AuthZero, a company that provides authentication and authorization services for application builders. On this episode, Eugenio discusses AuthZero's core values, how they search for employees, and what he learned in Argentina that led to his journey in entrepreneurship. Keep listening to find out how AuthZero is changing the game for innovators. Mission Daily is created by our team at mission.org. Welcome to Mission Daily. I'm Hillary Georgi, and uh, welcome to the show, Eugenio. How are you? Very good. Thank you for having me. Awesome. So I love to kind of just get right in. Um, tell me a little bit about yourself. I know you moved to America from Argentina. You've started a couple companies. Tell me a little bit about your backstory and how you kind of wound up where you are right now. Well, I'm almost 50, so that would take a long time for me to describe everything that happened in my life. <laughs> so, um, Cliff Notes version. Yeah, the, the short version. So I, I was born in Argentina many years ago. I moved to the U.S. in 2003, late 2003, with my family. I was working for Microsoft at that time, Microsoft Argentina. Worked there for a couple of years, and then you know, Project took me here, and they offered me to stay for what originally was going to be only three years, and then three years became four and five, and then mortgage, and kids, and houses, <laughs> schools, and stuff. <laughs> Here I am. I'm, I'm, I feel more like a, a native Pacific Northwest, you know, than anything else. But um, yeah, I've been, I've been here since then. Awesome. And tell me a little bit about striking the balance of kind of moving to a different country, having a family, having, you know, a job and making that balance work. What was that like for you in, in the initial years? Yeah. You know, um, some people ask me this question and it made me reflect because I'm, I'm also, I mean, our family are all immigrants too. You know, my, my own family is originally from Italy and from Spain. And so, like, um, somebody made a comment to me saying, like, oh, you know, you're going to America. Actually, my grandfather came to the U.S. first, and then he went to Argentina. So my immigration was very different from others. You know, my family left Europe in a time of trouble, you know, very poor, very difficult times. And my circumstances were very very different. And... I feel very fortunate. So this was my choice. It was an experience that I wanted to have, that we wanted to have. I was married in, and I had two boys, two very, very young boys. And so moving here was, a, was an opportunity to learn, to experience something different, to experience a different culture. We tried to adapt ourselves to the environment that was around us. And so by that, I like to think that we have experienced a much richer, you know, uh, overall environment because we haven't closed ourselves to just what we knew. We open up ourselves to everything else and it's been great. I want to go back in time just a little bit. So before you left Argentina and before even joining Microsoft, you had started your own company in Argentina, right? So what was that like? Why, why did you want to start your own company, be like a founder, get into business at all? Okay. So to answer that question, I need to go a little bit back in time. and Even uh, further back. Further in time. <laughs> and so when I, when I was 
you know, I, I still have it. I have like a, this notebook with all drawings and names of companies. And I was playing with like, you know, changing the letters of my name and putting other things anyway. I was like brainstorming of names for companies. And, uh, and then I, I still have like the sketches of my campus because <laughs> I wanted to have like a, like a corporate campus. Talking about putting the horse behind the, the cart. You know. <laughs> cart before the horse, yeah. <laughs> that was my fantasy. I, went, I wanted to build a company. I always wanted, always wanted that. I always wanted to create something from nothing, I guess. And so my very first uh, adventure was, you know, we, with a friend, we invented a device. There was a device for measuring things and automated measure, measurements. And there was a, you know, we were fantasizing of like this massive workshop because it involved manufacturing, right? So we thought about like this industrial age manufacturing factory, but it never go beyond my bedroom, I guess. <laughs> that was very early on. But then to your milestone, I went to school, I went to engineering school. And uh, technical stuff was always, you know, what I was attracted to. And, uh, and so when I finished um, college, a friend of mine and I, he had the idea, but we were really good friends. And we decided to, hey, maybe we should make this uh, thing. And so we created this solution for a company that was like the first, the first instance of the product that we built. And it was terrible. It went... I mean, it was great, and it was terrible. We worked countless hours. You know, he was great. Uh, we were really good partners. But both of us were, like, really naive and young, and we were, like, solely for... We have all these preconceived ideas. We have these preconceived ideas of what building a company was about. All of them wrong ideas, by the way. The worst of all mistakes was to think that, you know, we could build a product and then people will come and they will just buy it because the product was awesome and it was great and it was great and it was awesome, but it was too ahead of its time and we have no clue of, you know, things like pricing or marketing or sales or support, like all the different components that make a company. And so we failed because we, we were also unlucky in a way that the first customer that we got was really awesome. They paid us, they treated us well, they like, you know, they were, it was really, really easy sell. And in a way, it reinforced all the wrong assumptions. Uh, the second customer came and it wasn't easy to work with and it was like really a pain and they didn't pay us and like all the wrong things. They were like the complete antithesis of the first one. And so that was really hard. And then, you know, we were exhausted after a year and something, you know, we decided to, that was it. And then you went and you worked for Microsoft, but eventually you wanted to jump back in. You wanted to found another company, your CEO now. Tell me about what you're doing now and, and why you wanted to take another shot at building your own thing and, and building something from nothing. I did it because it was still in me, right? So Microsoft was awesome. It was great. The best experience uh, I could have asked for. I was very lucky and very, 
I am really grateful, but it wasn't my company. I wasn't unhappy. It's not that I was like every day, like complaining, not necessarily my, my style, but I wasn't, I didn't feel fulfilled. And so my wife in her infinite wisdom uh, said, hey, maybe you should change and do something else. And uh, we started brainstorming about what to do. And she said something that, you know, stuck with me, which is like, you know, you, you never regret your mistakes. You always regret what you don't do. Because you, know, you don't know what will happen. You don't know the outcome. It's like the, there's a, the uncertainty of what if, you know, I should have. And not the I shouldn't have. And so she said, like, she encouraged me to take one year, time box it, she put some. She helped me put some constraints in the adventure, and uh, and so that's how it started. So I resigned. I quit Microsoft in December two thousand twelve, and I started Zero with another friend. How long did it take? Like, did it take the whole year that your wife gave you to to figure out Auth Zero? Like, what was the what was the timeline like in the conception process? So we we knew the space very well. Because for the last, for the previous five years before Auth0, I was working in this domain, right? So I was working in authentication, authorization, modern applications, cloud computing. That was my thing in, at Microsoft. So I wasn't starting from scratch. I was already like understanding the problem. But uh, so when we, when we started Auth0, we started in a, in a, in a space that we knew you know, inside out. What we didn't prove was that there was a business to be made out of this. The problem was a problem. The problem was complicated. The people needed a solution for this problem, but we didn't know. What was the problem? Lay it out for us. The problem is how do you know if a user is legitimate or not in your apps? So it's an old problem. Every person in the world that interacts with software they have entered a username and a password. In some, unfortunately, they enter many usernames and oftentimes the same password everywhere. And that's a problem, but it's a common thing. You know, it's like a, we are not, nobody is exempt from this challenge of knowing who the users are. And that's a question that we provide an answer for. Are you a user of the system? And then the second question is, what can you do? Can you log in into this uh, Zoom session? Can you submit this expense report? Can you approve this expense report? That's the authorization part of the problem. The first one is knowing who you are is the authentication piece of the problem. So that's what we solve. Back to the story, you know, we knew that it's a problem, that it's a big problem, but we didn't know if there was a, enough to create a company to build a company around that. The other thing that we didn't know is that if the world would be ready to outsource this to somebody else, and especially to a company like ours, I had a very hard time convincing people to you know, delegate things to Microsoft. And that's an established company, big company, you know, you can argue whether it's trusted or not, but let's say, you know, if you're a big business, a big corporation, 
you would probably be safe. You would say like, hey, I'm going to rely on Microsoft technology. So would, would the world be ready to delegate authentication and authorization to a company like ours? How did you answer it? How did you go about getting like your first customers or getting people to trust you? And that's perhaps the biggest insight. It's the, there's nothing like doing. You know, you can go around and ask experts and ask for experience and their thoughts and feedback and whatnot. And I did some of that too. You know, before doing that, it's, it's kind of like before jumping into an adventure, you, there's fear. And fear, you go around asking questions, but there's nothing than selling to the first customer. That's the ultimate validation. And so, you know, if there's one piece of advice for entrepreneurs, or if there's one, I often, often get this question, you know, it's like, what, what advice would you give yourself, you know, 20 years ago? And I would say, like, just find, just do it and try and be prepared to be wrong because you will be wrong all the time. And that's not a problem. It's a kind of so-called failing. It's not really a problem. The problem is like being stuck in trying to understand all the crevices of doubt and, uh, and not doing it. And so what I did is the first year, I just spoke with everybody who cared to listen, and I tried to land the first paying customer, and then the second one, and then the third one. Right. I was going to ask, how does the first customer kind of start the flywheel spinning? Because at the at your old company, the one you started back in Argentina, you had one customer and you thought that would be it. You know, it's going to be easy. How was the experience a little bit different this time? You had one customer and then you had two customers and then you kept building. Yeah. The first, uh, so the first company, I had one customer who was actually who prompted us to do this thing. Because when we, we say like, oh, you know, this is a, uh, we started that business really started as a freelance engagement, almost. And so we said, like, you know, can you guys build this for me? The idea, the problem, the customer came to us. We were good engineers. We built in and say, hey, maybe this is a problem that other companies have. That's how we started. With this one, it was more like the kind of the opposite. We knew that it was a problem, but our customers they were so immersed in the pain of the problem that they're almost like chronic pain. They don't know that they are, that it can, they can live without this pain. And so they were not like proactively reaching out and say, can you please give me this a solution for this, that I can't stand this problem anymore. That was not the case. So, you know, what, what I did is at that time we had like um, our website and some social media presence in the, the space that we were in, which was developers. So being developers and selling to developers or essentially catering for developers made us connect with developers in multiple areas, right? We were in Stack Overflow, we were in Twitter, etc. So our website had this little icon. There was a chatbot, a chatbot only that it wasn't a bot, it was me behind the scenes. And so I answered every question, every interaction. And of course, in the beginning, there was like one person, then three, then five. So, you know, talking about, uh, I think Reed Hoffman always says like, in the early days, do things that don't scale. People ask me like, 
how does this work and who are you and where are you and can I use this for this and that? And Yeah, that's like a huge bank of just customer insights that you wouldn't probably get otherwise. It was. And because I knew about the problem, you know, I spent like years in this domain. So I was, you know, fairly knowledgeable. And uh, I had a reputation in in this small corner of technology. You know, people knew about me and um, Matthias and I, Matthias is a co-founder of the company. It was really, it was great. It was really good. And so one day, one of those eventually said like, well, I really want to integrate this into my application. So I offered him a Skype session and we spent like, you know, a couple of hours, like pair programming in essence. I was telling him like, no, go here, add this line of code, go there, configure this, you know, turn this on. We were troubleshooting together. There were some issues in our product. So we helped, he helped through this process. He helped me, you know, uh, improve it. Long story short, he had everything up and running after that session. So he said, like, look, this is awesome. I love this. I love the experience. I want to buy it. And uh, I wasn't ready for that question, actually, <laughs> because we didn't even have pricing for it. And so I said, okay, you know, it's $50 per month. And he said, well, you know, I, don't, I cannot afford $50, but I can afford 30 And so we, we agreed on $30 per month, and that's how the first customer landed. That's so interesting. And I always hear this phrase, it's like, do something before you're ready. And I think that's kind of like a perfect example. Like, you weren't necessarily ready, but this is your business. Like, this is, somebody's asking for something, you should, you do it. Um, we were also lucky. I'd say that, that was the first customer. So the first customer is a prototype of the, of the customer that we wanted to have like a developer working on a project, maybe like a weekend project or some idea, not like the big company. We were not trying to win big companies at that time. We said, we want like the free, try first, hands-on developer customer. That's the customer. So it was a perfect customer. And after him, you know, there were others, trials. We have like hundreds of trials. But later that year, through this, you know, serendipity and by doing, what happened is I, I changed my LinkedIn profile. Finally, I said, like, maybe I should change my LinkedIn profile to reflect who I am now. A day later, I get this message from a former colleague at Microsoft who also left Microsoft like years ago. And he said, like, oh, you know, I, I didn't know that you left and uh, I, what are you doing? And so, you know, he was looking at a website and said, oh, it looks like I, you're solving the problem that I'm trying to solve for these other companies. And, uh, you know, and again, long story short, that, land, that, that connection and that, you know, serendipity landed us our very first enterprise customer. This was our, like, now, not $50 per month, but thousands of dollars per year, big company, bigger commitment, took us, like, seven months to close the deal, like, a different, but it was, like, a completely different game in the other side of the spectrum of the customers that we wanted. Came a little earlier than we wanted, and so I had the two proof points. 
So at the end of the first year that my wife gave me, the, or that we agreed to have as, a, as an experiment, I got the paying customer that was like the developer working on his own and the large corporation that could pay, you know, thousands of dollars for our solution. Worked out for you. <laughs> and you did all of this also with a partner, Matthias, and he's 7,000 miles away. So what was that like to build this kind of a company with a partner who is completely on the other side of the world? Yeah, it's a little bit crazy. You know, in retrospect, it's, um, um, I don't regret it at all, of course. Look, Matthias has been an incredible partner and the best, you know, he's like a brother to me. We know each other for a long time, right? So we, we work together. We, we are very different. We have different skills. We have different, we have different interests. Um, we like different things. But we coincide in, in our core values. So there's things that we care the most about. You know, interesting enough, being so diff- two different persons, we coincide. And I think that's what cemented our really good relationship, a really good partnership. And also explains why we were able to do this and pull this off with being, you know, thousands of miles apart from each other. Because, you know, a lot of this is trust collaboration and not second guessing anything like and communication it's it's hard you know it's frantic it's it's a short message on slack or on whatever tool you're using and it could be misinterpreted and you know i see this all the time today you know ironically we're bigger and i see people maybe like getting into heated discussions only because they missed a comma <laughs> in their communication that didn't happen with Matthias because I knew what he cared about and he knew what he cared, what I cared about. And that care was the same for both. But we, we decided to, you know, kind of embrace being remote and build a company, build a company that was uh, a remote friendly company, not just for us, but for the talent that we had to bring on later on. And that allowed us to essentially expand our nets and getting talent from places that we never thought we would. But it also meant that we didn't have to compete necessarily with Microsoft or Google or Facebook or you know, Expedia or anybody here in Seattle or in, in San Francisco. So that, that, was a, that was an advantage. That's what I wanted to get into next too, is, is building your team and scaling the company and hiring a whole team that is remote, that works wherever you need them to work or they want to work. What is your, your strategy when you're hiring people? What are you looking for to, to bring somebody into Alt Zero? And, and how do you kind of present the values of the company and make sure that all of your employees kind of are rowing in the same direction as, as you? A few thoughts. So the first one is um, we have a bias toward action and doing stuff. We don't really hire people for their titles and their credentials and where, what, which school they went to. And look, you know, look at me. I didn't go to any fancy school in the world. Um, I went to a good school in Argentina, but it's well known in Argentina, maybe. But 
if I look at the people that we brought in, the people that have been successful in our company have been like highly compatible with our virtues and our values, the things that we care, right? And um, it took us a while to encode them and make them like more official. But in retrospect, and now I see that we've always lived up to the things that we cared. And we were somewhat explicit about it. You know, we care about caring. You know, that's actually, our, we have three values in our company, three core values. The first one is care. And we, we call it, we use different words with different statements for it. But the first one is really about care. We care about our customers. We care about the team. We care about the product. We want people that are, take pride of their work, their craftsmanship. They are people that are like um, not, um, that will look back and say like, yes, you know, I built this. Um, people that will not be afraid of like go and stand up for a customer when, they, when there's a need for that or stand up for a teammate if that's the case. So deep care. The second one is about our continuous improvement. And so we, we are relentless, not necessarily in like big, massive innovation, but in constant, permanent improvement. Like every day, it's a little bit better than yesterday. It could be that you fixed a typo on a document. It could be that um, it could, could be like a, a release of a new feature or a bug that we fixed or whatever. But we leave things better than we encounter, better than we were given to us. That's the second one. The third one is about teamwork, which is, you know, we call it one team, one score. And, you know, I'm from Argentina, uh, football, soccer, it's a big deal there. And they always ask the question, you know, how do you win in soccer? And a lot of people answer like you win by scoring. That's not how you win in soccer. In soccer, you win by scoring more than the other one. And so it doesn't matter if you score 100 goals. If the other one scores 101, you lose. And to do that, you, you need both the goalies and you need the forwards. Because if scoring goals is not enough. You need to prevent the other ones from scoring too. You need a team. And uh, we realized early on about the importance of building the team and the team is more important than individuals. Matthias and I are both like relatively, you know, we have our egos too, like everybody else, but you know, we don't like the leadership from the people centered leadership. We like leadership by example. And we like, we like to, the achievements of the team are more important than the achievements of individuals, including ourselves. And so the people that we hire are, I would say, really compatible with those three things. Care, teamwork, and constant improvement. And you can see that in themselves. Because, you know, when you interview them, you can say, so people, some people will say, oh, you know, I'm a valedictorian from this fancy school. They put that in front of, say, like, this is what I built. This is what I shipped. You know, I was part of this team. I was, I'm really proud of um, my work here. You see, that's an example of 
how they come across. It's Yeah, it's different. It's a different kind of a person, for sure. And also, because of the work that you do at Auth0, it's so important because it's like identity, it's security, it's privacy, it's it's things that are important to everybody in everyday life. So I think there has to be some kind of a respect for that as well that that the employees have to have. And I'd love to hear your thoughts just in general about that space and that technology and the work that you're doing in the space and how you're trying to improve, you know, with Auth0, all that's going on in in security and privacy and stuff. Yeah. So, um, you know, we, we live in a world and in a time where, unfortunately, technology works for both. Technology is agnostic, right? So it doesn't, there's no like an ethical, intrinsic ethical thing in the technology. Technology can be used for great things and it can be used for really bad things. And so um, in, our, in our space, I don't think I need to remind everybody of the bad stuff that happens in the world around our privacy, around our identity. And, um, you know, our accounts get hacked, people get, you know, their accounts breached and identity theft, all kinds of bad things happen. And so, you know, we like to think of ourselves as being like a little bit of guardians of that too and making that better. You know, half of the traffic in our infrastructure, and we process today like literally, you know, billions of logins per month. And that volume gives us a lot of insights into what's going on in the world. And uh, a lot of, it's a lot of bad stuff is going on, you know, unfortunately, like between 30 and 50% of all, all the traffic that goes into our servers it's fraud. Really? It's that high? Oh my God. It is really high. So it's people trying to become or trying to break into your accounts, right? So it's people trying to impersonate somebody else. We have now this increased sense of responsibility in a way. Anybody building software has to solve the authentication question. And so we started the company with this, uh, the mission of, you know, essentially removing that problem from a developer. So you don't have to. You use Auth0, you don't have to worry about authenticating users. We take care of it. As we have grown and evolved, now with billions of logins, with literally hundreds of millions of, of users, now we, we kind of like woke up to this new responsibility of being guardians of those. And, you know, now our mission is to secure identities of the world so innovators can innovate, right? So, like, we take care of all of that so developers can go and worry about, like, more important things, not identity. Identity being crucial, but not being, like, the source of innovation necessarily. If you're a bank, you need authentication, but you don't, that's not your business. Your business is managing money, managing investments better for your customers, right? Uh, everybody needs an identity. Nobody really cares about it. They all care, but nobody wants to care. Right. You see? Exactly. It's like a problem they don't want to have. It's a problem that they don't want to have. It's a problem that most people realize that developing the expertise on 
it's a massive opportunity cost. It's not that they couldn't do it. You know, it's technology. Anybody can build, can learn about it. But is it worth learning it? Well, the one hour you spend learning to do better authentication is one hour that you're not spending making your business better. So how does Auth0 separate itself from other people in this space, other your competitors? What are you offering to customers? Why are they coming to you instead of somebody else? You know, interestingly, there's this not really another company that it's solving the problem the way we are solving it. So there's problems, this company is definitely solving the problem, but they solve a problem for a different audience, the first difference. They solve a problem for a different type of users, and they solve the problem for a different buyer, so to say. And so, and in a different way. So people come to us, because we are we make we make it super simple. We don't try to turn everybody in an expert in this domain. Sometimes, you know, some of our competitors, so to say, you look at their product and their product is built for identity experts, which is natural. When you build a product in a specific domain, sure, you want to be like super expert in that domain. But the reality is that not everybody wants to become an expert in security or an expert in authentication. They just want the problem solved. Do you know? Do you really want to know how cell towers and CDMA, CDMA and TDMA works for mobile communications? No. Who cares? <laughs> I don't care. No. <laughs> I'm interested, but not really. Right. I just want to pick up the phone dial and call somebody or message somebody. Think of the magic that goes behind this little box, all the infrastructure behind the scenes that makes this a reality. The same thing happens in identity management. Nobody wants to know how digital signatures work and hashing algorithms work and how to store passwords or hashes of passwords in a secure way how to do multi-step authentication. They all want the outcome of that, but they are not becoming experts. A lot of our competitors want you to be an expert. They sell to, let me show you how the cell tower works. It's really awesome. All this you know, microwave communication. And that's great for some people, but the vast majority of the world doesn't want to know that. So, we focus on simplicity. 20% of the use cases that happen 80% of the time, it just works. You just check the box and it works. The second reason we win, it's the extensibility, flexibility. So in the same way, you know, this, this phone comes with pre-built features, right? You can message, you can text, you can call somebody. Awesome. But now if you want to call Lyft or Uber, you have to install an application. So the phone is a great example of an extensible platform. You can go and install an application from somebody else, not from Apple, and you can do more things that the phone wasn't necessarily designed to do to begin with. It doesn't ship with that. Well, you can do the same thing with our platform. So 
you buy at zero, you does 20% of the things that 80% of the people want. But then for the other 80%, the 20% of the people want, like all these corner cases, and like I really want, you know, the meditation application. Not everybody wants to meditate, but you have it. So we enable others to build on top of us and to extend our platform to do things that not, not everybody wants, but somebody might care a lot about. And we make it really easy to do that in the same way that the iPhone has really made it amazingly easy for an ecosystem of applications to you know, evolve and, and make it the phone even more attractive because now it's becoming more than a phone. It's a book reader, it's my meditation app, it's my wellness app, it's like all things in one thing. It's all the things, yes, in one tiny little box. It's crazy how that has happened. And really we don't ever stop to think about like how it works or why it works. We just accept that it works and that's how we live our lives. You as a CEO, you've been a CEO and a founder who has had success and one who has failed. And you talked a little bit about how you've found success. And you talked about your support system with your wife and your family and you're a co-founder and kind of jumping in and just doing something when you weren't ready, maybe. I'd love to know if there's any other kind of ideas you have on leadership or, or being a CEO or being a founder, ways that you've found worked and ways that you found definitely don't work that you would share. So the most important ones, I think you covered already. I have, a, I'm blessed with a great family. My wife is, um, has been a great partner in life. You know, we've been together for more than 20 years, or almost, tw almost 25 years now. And, um, you know, I, I'm so much better because of her. And I've been very lucky. I, I, I realize, you know, we, we met uh, by serendipity. And, um, you know, at that time, there were no applications to find your perfect match. <laughs> right. <laughs> old -fashioned the old-fashioned way. way. It, just, it worked out <laughs> for us. So... I'm really grateful. Every company, the one thing I learned is that there's value in somebody else's experience, for sure. And so it's great that you surround yourself with friends and mentors and coaches and, and uh, people that you look up to, and uh, maybe you want to become them or aspects of them. I want to be me, to be very clear. So I, even though there's people I admire enormously, I don't want to be them. I want to be me, and I want to take aspects of their life and, you know, use it in my life. If you admire, let's say, Steve Jobs, it's like, a, oh, I want to be like Steve Jobs. So everybody's experience is great. Doing what others do might or might not help you is not a warranty. You have to go and try it on your own. And being a CEO, being an entrepreneur, show different things. I don't think everybody, being an entrepreneur is not necessarily a precondition to be a great CEO. Or being a great CEO is not like a precondition to being a great entrepreneur either. So those are two separate things. I kind of learned to be a CEO. I'm not like a natural CEO. I'm grateful that I was given the opportunity to do it and continue to be as the company grew. But it's a fairly unnatural job. How so? 
<laughs> it's not natural because you, you, you get to, you have to make decisions with imperfect information. You are like failing all the time, really. You know, there are days where like, if, you, if you're successful 20%, you really have a great day. Right. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you, you have to work with imperfection at all levels. You have to be, to have this flexibility to realize that the company changes all the time. And what makes you successful last year is not going to necessarily what's going to make you successful the following year. There is one trait that you have to excel at is to always kind of challenge everything, you know, including yourself and be a continuous learner. And so I'm a continuous learner by nature. So maybe that was an advantage because I'm never afraid of, first, first of all, I'm not afraid of being wrong. I'm kind of like always looking to be wrong. And second, I, I try to surround myself with opportunities and people that will contribute to my development. And some of that is also serendipity, and some of that it's very intentional. And so, you know, I am I, part of a program to become a better CEO. Yes, I can read all the books, but there's nothing like doing first. And second, um, you know, each one's situation is different too, and so their experience is limited. That makes sense. It does make sense. All right. We have a quick lightning round. Before we get into it, is there anything else you want to cover? Any open recs, any product launches, any exciting news developments you want to go over? Anything going on at all zero that the world should know about? Oh, well, there's so much going on at all zero every day <laughs> that it's uh, difficult to pick. But uh, so I would say, like, you know, stay tuned. Follow us on Twitter. All zero is our A U T H number zero. It's our handle. We, that's the place where, you know, we communicate all the greatness, uh, the best and that we are up to. But, you know, product-wise, we are like clearly an engineering company. And so, you know, we're always um, uh, shipping something new pretty much every week. So Always something going on behind the scenes in the back end. Let's do a quick lightning round. So fast and easy questions, whatever comes to the top of your mind first. All right. Are you ready? Always. All right. Number one, what is your favorite thing to cook or eat? I, my favorite dish is the breakfast, and I do it myself every morning. And uh, it's, uh, it's everything but carbs. <laughs> Fair. Uh, is there a book or podcast that you've listened to or, or read recently that you've really enjoyed? Yes. So I just finished reading um, What You Do Is Who You Are from okay. Ben Horowitz. Mm -hmm. And it was a great read, resonated a lot with him. A um, couple of good friends are mentioned in his, uh, in his book, which is awesome to see. Great book about culture, actually. I like that Ben, his previous book, The Hard Thing About Hard Things, also a fantastic read for entrepreneurs and CEOs especially because it's very much focused on the doing and all the hard things that people not always tell you that you will encounter. But this one uh, focuses on culture and I think it's so spot on on the things that make 
or break companies. And that's culture. Podcast, I really like the Knowledge Project, Shane Parrish. So all his chapters, all his episodes are really, really insightful. Yeah, that's a good one. All right. Favorite thing to do with wife, the kids, the dog out in the uh, in the Washington area? Favorite thing, it's uh, just walking around the magnificent parks that we have. We are really also very fortunate to live in an incredible nature. Uh, Washington State is amazing. There's trails, there's parks, just live across the street from a one of the largest uh, off-leash parks for dogs. Nice. Disneyland for kids. <laughs> and um, there's a river, there's the lake, there's the woods, the forest. is amazing. That's my favorite thing. What about favorite place in Argentina? The south, which um, now that I think about it, looks very similar to the Pacific Northwest. <laughs> you know? There you go. There you go. I wasn't born there, but it's... Um, I love the mountains, I love the forests, I love the lakes, uh, I love the snow, I love the, the different um, seasons, they're very distinct. And so um, South Argentina is beautiful. I have to go there, I'll put it on my list. All right, last question. What's the best piece of advice you could give somebody, just like a regular person, dealing with their privacy, their security, their authentication, like what would you tell them Step one, to make sure that they're protected. Two recommendations. The first one, use a password manager. Don't use your brain to come up with clever passwords. Just use the computer. The computer does a much better job at that. So any of the password managers, there's free, there's paid. Any, it's probably much better than doing it yourself with you know, your birthday combined with your son's birthday or your daughter's birthday. Don't do that. The second recommendation is whenever you can, turn on multi-factor authentication. All right. Solid tips. I do both of those already, so I feel ahead of the game. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been such a fun conversation and continued success with All Zero. We can't wait to watch your Twitter feed and see what's going on. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure to be here. I really enjoyed it and looking forward to the next one. Awesome. Thank you so much. Mission Daily and all of our podcasts are created with love by our team at mission.org. We own and operate a network of podcasts and a brand and story studio designed to accelerate learning. Our clients include companies like Salesforce, their customer times five, Twilio, and Katera, who work with us because we produce results. To learn more and get our case studies, check out mission.org slash studios. If you're tired of media and news that promotes fear, uncertainty, and doubt, and if you want an antidote to all that chaos, you're at the right place. Subscribe here and to our daily newsletter at mission.org. Each morning, you'll get a newsletter that will help you start your morning and your day off right. Hey listeners, thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It helps spread the word and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time.